Oh, hello, this is Ann Altas, your podcaster, your blogger, and it's Friday already. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days after the election, and we still don't know who the winner is. How are you holding out? I'm doing fine. It's Isn't it funny how on an actual election night you get to feeling like every 15 minutes is important? What's the news? And it's uh, you get the big announcement. It's like uh, the last episode of American Idol, and we find out who won. La, 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 and the confetti, and the... Uh, but no, no, no. Once it stretches out, and you don't know the next day, then whole days go by, and it's sort of like, oh, yeah, we're just still hanging around, waiting. I'll go out for a long walk. Don't even think to check the iPhone while I'm out there. Did something happen? Did a state get called? Do you even care if they call a state? What? it's not an election determined by the news media and whatever their standards are for calling a state. Don't get so excited about states being quote-unquote called. Who knows what's happening? But it must. some people must be very edgy about this because they have very strong feelings about who should win and who shouldn't. I see good and bad down both paths, so I'm just interested in seeing which path America ultimately has chosen that's buried somewhere down in all of these mysterious papers that are being carted around or possibly even created uh, from minute to minute. Who knows? Well, yesterday, after I ended the podcast later in the afternoon, Trump gave a, a speech and I listened to it live, just listened, and I thought it seemed like... Um, seemed like wild accusations that he had gone too far and he was just standing there making an accusation that there was this massive fraud happening and uh, I didn't think he had the information to say that and yet this morning uh, first thing I did was check for the transcript and the transcript is just very different to me this is a very vivid demonstration of the difference between transcript and watching and listening to someone who's really speaking. I mean, the sense of emotion in the live version, the, the, the visual audio version of the speech was great, but the transcript itself seemed, I was going to check his work to see whether, I, I thought what was the most important was that he be relying on the evidence, be very evidence-based in what he did. And I didn't think he was doing that. I thought he was just saying, they're stealing the election, they're committing a fraud. It's a uh, it's similar to the accusations that were made about him in the last election. Russia determined the outcome of the election. There was collusion, all that kind of hysteria, which I really hate. But this morning when I read the transcript, it seemed different. And here's the post I put up. I think it's valuable to read the transcript and judge Trump's words on their merit, not just to remember how you felt as you heard this, if you listened to the whole thing live, and what it seemed as though he was saying. The speech was, I presume, intended to cause intense emotion, and I think it did. I got the feeling that he was making wild accusations, and that he ought to instead stay very closely connected to the evidence from the transcript, and I took from the transcript the part that I thought was the most problematic in terms of what read in my mind like wild accusations. So here's, here's from the transcript. This is what Trump said. The officials overseeing the county, the counting in Pennsylvania and other key states are all part of a corrupt Democratic machine, a corrupt 
Democrat machine that you've written about. He's talking to reporters, that's why he said, that you've written about. And for a long time, you've been writing about the corrupt Democrat machine. I went to school there, and I know a lot about it. It hasn't changed since a long time ago, and hasn't changed, it's gotten worse. Well, that seems, this is me, that seems like a pretty broad accusation against Pennsylvania and against the Democratic Party in general, the corrupt Democrat machine. Okay, let's go on to the next paragraph. Quote, in Pennsylvania, partisan Democrats have allowed ballots in the state to be received three days after the election, and we think much more than that, and they're counting those without even postmarks or any identification whatsoever. So you don't have postmarks, you don't have identification. There have been a number of disturbing irregularities across the nation. Our campaign has been denied access to observe any counting in Detroit. Detroit is another place, and I wouldn't say has the best reputation for election integrity. Poll workers in Michigan were duplicating ballots, but when our observers attempted to challenge the activity, the poll, those poll workers jumped in front of the volunteers to block their views so that they couldn't see what they were doing, and it became a little bit dangerous. One major hub for counting ballots in Detroit covered up the windows again with large pieces of cardboard, and so they wanted to protect and block the counting area. They didn't want anybody seeing the counting, even though these were observers who were legal observers that were supposed to be there in Detroit. There were hours of unexplained delay in delivering many of the votes for counting. The final batch did not arrive until 4 o'clock in the morning. And even though the polls closed at 8 o'clock, so they brought it in and the batches came in and nobody knew where they came from. We've also been denied access to observing critical places in Georgia. In multiple swing states, counting was halted for hours and hours on election night with results withheld from major Democrat-run locations only to appear later. And they certainly appeared, and they all had the name Biden on them, or just about all, I think almost all. They all had the name Biden on them, which is a little strange. I challenged Joe and every Democrat to clarify that they only want legal votes because they talk about votes, and I think they should use the word legal legal votes. We want every legal vote counted, and I want every legal vote counted. We want openness and transparency, no secret count rooms, no mystery ballots, no illegal votes being cast after election day. We're hearing stories that are horror stories, absolute horror stories, and we can't let that happen to the United States of America. There's been a lot of shenanigans, and we can't stand for that in our country. And I went out for my run after writing that and came back and said I've and reformatted it to make it easier to see and to forefront what I had to say about it. I said, I want to be clear about what I felt listening to Trump in real time yesterday compared to what I think reading the transcript this morning. As I said, I got the feeling he was making wild accusations and that he ought to instead stay very closely connected to the evidence. When I read the transcript, when I read the transcript, it seems much more disciplined and close to the evidence than it seemed to me after listening yesterday. After listening, I had thoughts like, the president is going crazy. He's putting his interest in winning above our interest in peace and security, trying to make us think everything is going to hell, when really 
It's a pretty normal election under the highly unusual COVID circumstance. He should make his argument, but he needs to ground it solidly on evidence and not just say anything and everything that comes into his head as he fights for his personal victory and plays on our unstable emotions. But reading the text, and the part I excerpted is where I expected to see the craziness, I'm amazed at how much it sticks to specific assertions of fact, actual observations, and not vague, broad claims about corruption everywhere. And now doing the podcast and reading it, I should add, uh, what's my feeling on this third pass at the information? I do see some broad claims and generalizations, the corrupt democratic machine, this idea that he went to school in Pennsylvania and so he has a sense of what goes on in Pennsylvania now. <laughs> it was decades ago. Um, so, and, and but, but I do think he's trying to focus on specific evidence and that's the important thing to do. And he does end with this idea of, we, we need to count the votes, but we need to count the legal votes and we need to count them in an open and transparent way. So that doesn't seem uh, crazy to me at all. But uh, the, the, the feeling of the scene yesterday when watching it live, it really did have a, a craziness to it. But I think a lot of people react to Trump like that all the time, where they sort of, like when he was doing his COVID briefings every day, that there seems to be something about his style when he's in that White House mode, when he's at the lectern going on. He has this sort of droning quality to his voice and maybe have a bit of a sense that he's in a, an almost hypnotic state where he's just going on, reeling things out of his mind. And it, it has a weirdness to it. But, you know, he's a particular type of person. We all have our idiosyncratic ways of speaking. Um, I have mine, you have yours, but um, there is something strange of, and uh, uh, automaton-like about the mode that he goes into when he's in that environment speaking to the reporters. I mean, maybe he feels very oppositional to the reporters and, and needs to create a sort of an emotional shield around himself but he's trying to leap over them and into the public's mind and make us have very vivid feelings. And he's clearly very effective at doing that. It's kind of a mystery, the communicative power that he has. Um, I listen to it and I often enjoy it, but I also sometimes feel like this is stirring people up too much. This is grabbing people by their emotions too much and playing into irrationality. And I do think there's something a bit wrong with with that. Okay, now the next uh, post has to do with a tweet that I saw Kathy Griffin put up retweeting something that involved some religious people with red hats, I assume MAGA hats, praying at the door to one of the places where the votes are being counted. Okay, so we have this um, tweet from Kathy Griffin showing religious people praying at the door of the Clark County Election Department. And uh, she's copying someone named Alyssa Estrada who says, they tell me they're praying justice will be done and that righteousness prevails. Now, I, I titled my post, Are We Mocking Religion? Can't quite tell. Can't quite tell whether that's mockery. All Kathy Griffin says is, you guys. Um, 
I don't know. I don't like to see religion mocked, especially to the extent that it looks like there is a mockery of Christian prayer where there wouldn't be mockery if some other religion were praying. But uh, she does have a somewhat light touch because all she says is, uh, you guys. And then there's also another another tweet of someone who says, meanwhile in Philadelphia and shows dancing in the street with a hashtag count every vote. Well, yeah, let's count every, count every legal vote. Okay, next is a Madison newspaper article tells us about a group that blocked the main highway for hours last night, but never says who they were or what they were protecting. The who and the why seem to have dropped out of journalism. The headline at the Wisconsin State Journal is, Update, Group Shuts Down Eastbound Beltline for Hours Thursday Night, Police Say. Of course, the Beltline is the main highway, high-speed line around Madison, Wisconsin. Quote, a group of about 20 people in cars shut down the eastbound belt line in Monona and Madison for about four hours Thursday night, authorities reported. So, and I said, so, people. This story has a front page headline, and that says it went up two hours ago. If this happened last night, why is there no information about who these people are and why they're shutting down the belt line? And now here's a quote from the article. This is information in the article. The group has a barbecue set up. And I said, are we supposed to infer the identity of the people and their purpose by the fact that they've set up a barbecue on the Beltline? Quote, a similar to a protest on the Beltline in September that lasted several hours. And I said, okay, there's a link on that. So if I pick up a hint that these people must have the same purpose as the people back in September, I can click through and find out who they were and why they did this, and then, if I choose, infer that last night's group had the same purpose. The linked article from September says, quote, the protests stem from police-involved deaths, including that of Breonna Taylor in Louisville and the Black Lives Matter movement, but it was unclear Thursday whether the protest was the result of a specific incident. In that protest, they set up grills, quote, set up grills on the highway. So you see the similarity between the two events. They closed off the highway, and they set up, in one case, a barbecue, and in the other, grills. Presumably the same thing. People are barbecuing. So it's a protest. Uh, the one in September stemmed from police-involved deaths, but was also unclear. They didn't really get more information about that one. And then this one, they're just saying, hey, look back and see what they did in September. They had grills back in September, and now they have a barbecue. How is that the way to report news? Here's an idea. Let's call it journalism. You employees of the Wisconsin State Journal could take it upon yourselves to walk up to the people who are barbecuing on the Beltline and interview them about what they are doing and why. If you find yourself wanting to write something like, quote, it was unclear whether the protest was the result of a specific incident, unquote, you might see that as a clue that you ought to find someone who could clear that up for you. Your potential informants were glaringly right out there in the most public possible location. Why didn't you walk up to them and ask? Last night's incident ended at 10.45. This is a front-page news story. Why isn't the journal ashamed to have such, incomplete, such an incomplete, uninformative story about an incident that disrupted the city for two or I think it was four hours? Do they think they answered the question when they said that last night's group had a barbecue and the September 
protest, which stem, stemmed from police-involved deaths, had grills on the highway? You shouldn't leave factual questions hanging like that. It's really disrespectful. And then after reading the comments, um, I kind of could see they weren't really taking the clue what I was trying to say by calling it disrespectful. I said disrespectful to avoid actually saying, um, I think your article is racist. I think you're not telling us who the people are because you're trying to dog whistle us that the people were black because they had a barbecue or you're trying to make us think that they were black. Uh, someone in the comments said they were, they were black and white people. Fine. I don't, uh, I just want to know who they were and what they were doing. And I don't want a news article that's trying to look like legitimate journalism to just call them people or a group and tell us that they're barbecuing. That doesn't explain the protest, and it sure doesn't explain why they weren't required to immediately get their cars out of the highway and move on. Why don't we have traffic enforcement? The police apparently redirected the traffic and let them go on like this for four hours. Clearly, the city can't have a plan to treat everyone who decides to express themselves by stopping the Beltline and, and having a picnic. Uh, to let all of them go. So it's a preferential treatment. And uh, it's, it, it, it's really enraging that the public is treated like this. And it's, and, and it's disrespectful to treat the protesters like that, to not say who they are or what they're doing, and then to have a dog whistle clue in there like barbecue. Uh, so I added this uh, footnote to the post and said, please understand that what I'm calling disrespectful is the nudging to the reader to think in terms of race without having the decency to speak directly about race. I mean, it's another thing indeed to be completely colorblind. If you want to go with colorblindness, well, apparently you don't. Um, but but either talk about race or don't talk about race. If if a right-wing group, I'm pretty sure, I, I wrote this on the post, I'm, I re only refrain from calling it racism to do what they did, to cue to dog whistle about race. I, I only refrain from calling that racist racism because I think there's too much readiness these days to call things racist. And yet I'm pretty sure that if anyone from the right wing wrote something with that many cues about race, that much dog whistling, it would be called racist. So let's have some standards and let's apply them across the board and let's treat people equally. And I don't think letting people stop their cars in the highway and set up a barbecue on the highway, doing nothing about that, um, it's, it is, is any kind of equality at all. I mean, maybe, I think the police are under orders to do that, and I, I don't think the city is explaining why it's doing that, or, get, or I don't think the city could uh, legally have a policy of treating different kinds of protests differently treating one type of speech differently from other speech. Either people can on their own, at their own free will, stop the Beltline and have barbecues and other kinds of picnics on the Beltline, or they can't. And it's just an embarrassment that something like that went on for hours and that the same thing had happened uh, earlier uh, in September. Well, I see that Glenn Reynolds says he's quitting writing his column for the USA Today. He doesn't give any details, only directs us to a new column at the New York Post and says, quote, the left is again showing that it can't stand anyone who disagrees. Moral superiority is an addictive drug and perhaps the most unfortunate legacy of the civil rights era. 
is that it got people on the left dependent on moral superiority for their self-esteem. And I said, are we supposed to read that as a statement why he's quit USA Today? The, the, what I, that quote I just read is all from the New York Post column, which isn't about leaving USA Today, of course. I'm just saying that, as it appears at Instapundent with the news that he's quitting USA Today, it reads like a statement about why. And then I link to the New York Post column and quote an excerpt from that. So let me read that to you. Quote, this year's presidential election hasn't provided the catharsis that many on the left were awaiting. Instead of the hoped-for blue wave, we have a still-too-close-to-call presidential election, while Republicans picked up House seats and appear to have held on to the Senate. One response might be self-criticism, to wonder how, after four years of single-mindedly trying to get rid of Trump and marginalize his followers, things didn't go better. Instead, Democrats' thinkers seem to be asking themselves variations on how can I live in a country where half the people supported Donald Trump? And I'll just say, well, they tried to make a monster out of Donald Trump and to demonize everybody who liked him at all. And whether and most people who liked him didn't like everything about him. They thought he would do some good for the country. And the idea has been spread and pumped up by the media for, so, for four years that anyone who doesn't treat Donald Trump as toxic is some kind of racist. Well, if that's what you believe, then oh, how, how can it be that half the people in the country are racist? Well, that was your idea to call them all racist. And maybe they didn't like that. Maybe there wasn't a blue wave because you made too many people feel that there were unfair calls that people were racist. Oh, and there's only one more post I kind of quit early and went out walking today. The only other post is a, um, a photograph, basically what do I call a cafe? Uh, it's a, a still life a photograph that I took my dear husband Mead. We have a little figure of an elephant and a donkey, which he got, I think in 2016, back when people were so upset about that election. And then somewhere in the archive of the blog, there's a photograph of the two figures I think they're on a windowsill, right at a window, and it's intended to express the idea, can't we all get along? Let's not be partisan. You know, the elephant can get along with the donkey. Uh, but today, uh, he, he, I kept, I kept him over on a little chest of drawers in the living room, in the big room, not the living room. We have another room, the big room. Uh, and uh, he turned over the, he turned he turned them upside down so they're both on their backs, feet, belly up, you know, to express something of the, the sadness of where we've come to. And, and hopefully maybe that will make you laugh and uh, it could make you laugh and then um, maybe we could all get along again. I think we could, don't you? Don't you think we could all get along? Well, it's Friday, so now we're going into the weekend. Maybe people will or do weekends even mean anything anymore? What would the pandemic? They don't mean a whole lot to me because I'm retired. And as far as I'm a busy person on the blog and the podcast, I do every day. I don't take weekends off. I sort of like the idea of not seeing the weekend as different. But I think maybe the weekend is a kind of an oasis for Americans generally. And I hope now that the counting of the votes is has elongated as much as it has that maybe people 
having reached the weekend, having gotten all the way from Tuesday to the weekend, that maybe the prospect of the weekend will open your heart and make you look out into the world, see the beauty of nature, see the love of your friends and family, and see the, the greatness of, of our country. Or, or does the idea that our country is great just remind you of Trump, make America great again, and then you're all back into a woozy swoon of uh, fear and fright and um, loathing. Fear and loathing. Whatever happened to Hunter S. Thompson, what would he say about all of this? You know, we don't really have any good, tough commentators about things. Maybe I should go back and read some old uh, Hunter S. Thompson. You know what I've been reading uh, lately? What I walked all around town listening to was um, Lenny Bruce's autobiography, How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. And I really just wanted to get that material because I feel like there's something in the past that had to do with free speech and uh, talking uh, talking dirty, talking tough, saying things. Um, and uh, I thought uh, we could really... that, that I, I wanted an infusion of that kind of uh, thinking because I feel like we've come to such a weakened, fearful, diminished place. And and we, we should be greater. Maybe not the greatness that is represented by the MAGA hat, but maybe a little of that and a little of something else. But uh, a Biden presidency doesn't really pretend some kind of new greatness or any kind of new vividness to life. But the weekend approaches, and maybe maybe in that we can see some kind of expansion of our own feelings about the world and our country and ourselves and our neighborhood um, maybe get us a little distance from the election. I know not everyone can do that, but uh, take this as a little nudge to try to do a little of that in honor of the weekend.